This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter 1, if you would. Luke chapter 1, if you're visiting this morning, it is our normal habit to walk through books of the Bible, and we began a couple of weeks ago in the Gospel of Luke, and we will be there, Lord willing, all year long, dividing this up into a number of different series, trying to uh, preach uh, Jesus as Luke portrayed him in this Gospel account. I would say if you didn't get one of these yet, uh, these little Luke journals, we'd love for you to do that. It's just a way for you to kind of keep up with the notes and what God is saying to us as a church. Uh, Although I think we did mess you up last week because I started Luke two weeks ago. Then all of you brought your Luke last week and I didn't preach. Uh, So I don't know what you did. But either way, uh, we're excited about getting back into Luke this morning. One of the things I love about this gospel is that Luke very clearly articulates from the beginning why he's writing, and this is helpful for us. The other gospel writers don't do that with that much clarity. Luke, a historian, a physician, someone who followed Paul throughout his ministry, who spent countless hours investigating, trying to talk to eyewitness accounts and understand the life and the story of Jesus, has given us this incredible account with tons of detail and tons of stories that no one else gives us. And he says that he has done all of that in verse 4 so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That word certainty means stability or security. That Luke is writing that as we come to understand Jesus, we might become stable and solid in our faith. Knowing that constantly coming against us are the winds of temptation, the winds of peer pressure, the winds of culture, the winds of demonic attack. All of those winds are blowing at us every moment of the day. I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it. I feel it every moment of the day, the wind is blowing against us. And Jesus wants us to be stable. He doesn't want us to be pushed away by all of these winds that come at us. And so Luke says, I'm writing so that through your understanding of Jesus, you might have a stable faith and we need that. And so everything Luke writes, he writes with that in mind. And he tells us about the ministry of Jesus, which we're going to do a whole series on. He tells us about the teaching of Jesus, which we're going to do a whole series on. He tells us about the encounters with Jesus that people have. And we're going to do a whole series on that and what it means to follow Jesus. But the main thing Luke wants us to know is Jesus himself. Apart from all the things that Jesus does, he wants us to know Jesus. And so Luke spends the first three chapters really introducing Jesus to us. These chapters feel a little bit like Jesus' resume. And I've been reading these chapters over and over and over again. And just in the first three chapters found over 15 different names or titles or descriptions of Jesus. And we're going to spend just a few weeks looking at a few of those. But it's interesting because as Luke builds this anticipation that he wants us to know Jesus and that through the knowledge of Jesus, we get secure and stable and steady in our faith. We're hoping to dive right in to an understanding of Jesus himself. And then Luke spends the first 21 verses telling us about a man named John, which doesn't seem to have anything to do with Jesus at all. 
Now, if you know the story well enough, you at least know that, well, John the Baptist came and prepared the way for Jesus. But what does this story have to do with making us stable and solid in our faith, protecting us from the winds that are blowing against us? Well, the truth is, is that Luke is writing a story. He tells us that in verse 1. He says, I'm compiling a narrative. A narrative is a story. And Luke wants to make sure that we understand that when we open up to Luke chapter 1, this is not the beginning of the story. This is the middle of the story. All of this comes first. And the only way that we can possibly jump into this story and understand it well is if we know that Luke is picking up exactly where the story has left off. Luke wants us to see not just how this story relates to Jesus, but how this entire story relates to Jesus Christ. So I want you just to listen to me for just a minute as I tell you the beginning of the story before we get to the Gospel of Luke. It'll take me just a minute, but I want to start at the beginning, and it will help us to understand why Luke starts this way. The Bible begins, the story begins with life as God intended for it to be. You need to know this. That God created the world that it would be his people in his place, experiencing his presence, fulfilling his purposes. That's what God always designed. It's what one day we will experience again. So he created Adam and Eve in his image. This is his people. He put them in the Garden of Eden, his place. He walked among them because they experienced the joy and the life that comes when you're in the presence of God. And he called them to fulfill his purposes. This is why they were made in the image of God and called to be fruitful and multiply because it was God's desire that these image bearers, those who looked like him, would spread to the ends of the earth. It was God's intention, as we see in Eden, there is one river flowing into Eden and four rivers flowing out, symbolizing the presence of God and God's desire that his name be made known throughout all of the earth. This is life as God meant for it to be. We know that it didn't last very long. That in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They were led astray by the serpent. They refused to live under the authority of God. Instead, they submitted themselves under the authority of the enemy. And at that moment, everything was broken and everything was lost. Inside of Adam and Eve, they became broken people. And every single human being born after that is born, united in Adam, broken because of sin. They lost everything. They were no longer in that full sense God's people because they had chosen to align under the serpent. They had been kicked out of God's place, the Garden of Eden. They were no longer experiencing the joy and life of God's presence. And they were no longer fulfilling God's purposes. They had traded God's purposes for their own purposes. Everything was lost and everything was broken from that moment. But God wasn't finished with them. God still loved them. He still had a plan. He still had a desire. And so God, as they were hiding in shame, went after them. He didn't wait for Adam and Eve to come after him because they wouldn't have. He does what he always does. He pursued them. And in their shame, he went after them and he gave them a promise. He told Adam and Eve that one day a rescuer would come and he would save his people. One day a rescuer would come to bring his people back so that they might experience life as it was meant to be. And he gave them a promise in Genesis 3.15. Listen to this. He says, I will put enmity 
between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, talking to the serpent. Seems like such a a strange promise, but the truth is this is the first time in which we see a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ because in that one verse, listen, the Lord promises that one day a male offspring of the woman would come and would crush the serpent. The serpent that had deceived Adam and Eve. The serpent that is like that wind that continued pushes against us would one day be conquered by this coming rescuer. That he would come and deliver them and he would restore humanity back as God intended for it to be. And listen to this. Every single book of the Bible, every single story, every single event, every single person, every single hero, every single verse of the Old Testament is pointing us again and again and again to the fact that God promised a rescuer. That there is one great hero in this story and someday he's going to come. There's over 3,000 promises in the Old Testament. Over 550 of them are directly related to the fact that one day a hero, a rescuer promised in Genesis 3 would in fact come. And with every single generation in the Old Testament, there were new promises. And with every generation, the hope and the anticipation grew that someday he would come through 400 years of slavery, for 40 years wandering in the desert, for 400 more years under the judges, every generation receiving these promises that one day the hero of the story, a Messiah, a rescuer, would in fact come. And the Old Testament ends with one more promise. In Malachi chapter 4, you get to the very end of the Old Testament. And there's these promises of this son of righteousness, another label, another title for this hero that someday is going to come. But the Old Testament doesn't end with a promise about this rescuer. The Old Testament ends with the promise of someone else. Listen to the last verses of the Old Testament. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn, listen carefully, the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And the Old Testament ends. Not with another promise of the great hero and rescuer who's going to come, but a promise of one who would come before this one. He would come like a great prophet like Elijah And in his ministry, he would begin to turn the hearts of children back to the father and father back to the children. And then after that lost promise was made, it's represented in one little page in our Bible. See this one little page that says the New Testament? This page right here represents 400 years of silence. One last promise, and then 400 years in which God said absolutely nothing. And remember how I told you throughout the Old Testament, every generation got new promises and it would just remind them again, listen, I know it seems like it's been a long time, but he's coming, I promise he's coming. A hero is going to come, a rescuer is going to come. And so every generation got new promises, but now all of a sudden, 400 years in which God said nothing, and now every generation started to wonder if God had forgotten his promise. If God would no longer send a hero, if this rescuer would in fact never come. 
And all of a sudden we get to the New Testament and we turn to the Gospel of Luke and Luke says, I'm writing because I want you to be stable in your faith. And we wonder, well, why in the world did you start with this story about Zechariah and Elizabeth? Zechariah and Elizabeth really paint a picture for us of what life was like as they waited on the promise of this hero. Look at what it says in Luke 1, verse 5. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. This little couple is really a picture of of all the 400 years, because they were faithful, they were waiting, they were hopeful, they were righteous, they believed they were beginning to lose hope, just like in their own life. That there was a barrenness that was on their life and certainly a barrenness upon all the people of God, and they were suffering. When it says in the days of Herod, it immediately puts kind of a cloud over the whole story because Herod was an evil and cruel king. He killed multiple of his own sons because he was afraid they were going to try to take his throne. But he was a good politician meaning he rebuilt the temple and he aligned himself with the Jews because Herod knew that there was one day going to be a Jewish hero that was going to come and Herod wanted to be the one. But they were suffering and they were waiting. Righteous but barren. Believing but hearing nothing. Advanced in years, hoping but starting to feel as if God had forgotten them. And right at that moment when they were advanced in years and feeling like God had forgotten them, it says this, and look at verse 8. Now while he, Zechariah, was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have a joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. All of a sudden, it's reminding us that just when Zechariah and Elizabeth thought that God was not listening and that God had forgotten, they come to realize that God had heard all of their prayers, and God was hearing them as they spoke to him and called out, Upon him for mercy. And then listen to what it says about this child. Verse 15. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even from his mother's womb. Listen to this. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Let me ask you something, church. Do those verses sound familiar? That's exactly how the Old Testament ended, with one last promise that one like Elijah would come and he would turn the hearts of the children and turn the hearts of the Father and he would make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And what Luke is doing right here in chapter 1 is letting us know that he's picking up the story exactly where it was left. That after years of waiting and years of barrenness, God had not forgotten.
forgotten his people because God never forgets his people. Even when he seems silent, even when he seems distant, even when what he does seems confusing, God never forgets his people. And he has remembered his people and he has kept this promise in which the Old Testament ended, not the promise of the coming of a Messiah, but the coming of the one who would come before him. And all of a sudden we realize that this story is not really about Zechariah and Elizabeth at all. This story is about a God who is remembering. It is about a story that is continuing. Listen, and it is about a hero that is coming. Luke starts this way to remind us that the hero of the story is finally coming and his name is Jesus Christ. The hero of the story from Genesis 3, the one on whom everything is pointing, every book, every story, every event, the one everyone had been hoping for, he's on his way and his name is Jesus Christ. I love the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones says this in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Listen to these words. Students, listen to this. It says, now some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have rules in it, and they show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. Now, the Bible does have some heroes in it, but most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away, and at times they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And it takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. Church, listen to me. God has always been writing a story, and the story has always revolved around Jesus Christ. He is the hero that has come to rescue his people. And he has come to rescue his people through his sinless life, the life that is required to be in the presence of God that we could never live. He came to rescue us by his sacrificial death, dying in our place so he might take upon himself the penalty for our sins. He has rescued us through his victorious resurrection, showing that it is possible for us to have eternal life with Jesus, to know life as God intended it to be. It is through his life and death and resurrection that he is making it possible for us to be restored in right fellowship with God through anyone who would trust and follow him. And then when his mission was complete, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where right now, right now, in bodily form, Jesus is seated, ruling and reigning over all things. And he promises that one day he's going to return. But until he returns, 
He has left a church and a mission. And he has called the church to continue the mission until he returns. And the way in which God is still working is this. Listen carefully. Here's how God's working right now. He is saving individual people like we saw nine of this morning. He's saving individuals through the preaching of the gospel. He's allowing you to understand that God has something good for you, that you're not the only one broken. Everyone is broken and life will remain broken until you get Jesus to help put it back together. He's saving individual people. And then you know what he's doing? He's then gathering them in local churches where they are sacrificially participating in the life and ministry and mission of the church using their gifts and resources and through the church continuing to write the story. There is no other plan that God has. The story will continue to be written as God continues to save individuals and put them in a local church where they are accomplished the mission until Jesus returns. So what does that what does that mean for me? It means this. In the same way the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth isn't ultimately about them, your story is not ultimately about you. Now, listen carefully. It is about you. You matter. I I can't stand when people say, this book isn't about you. It's just about Jesus. Well, it's all about Jesus. It's also about you. Because God created you and he loves you. And the only reason you exist is because God wants you to exist. And the only reason you continue to exist is because God wants you to continue to exist. If in any moment God did not want you to exist, he would cease your existence. This is about you. But it's about the fact that you find your greatest significance in life when you become a part of a bigger story. You don't come to Jesus Christ and invite him to be a part of your story. You come to Jesus Christ saying you're ready to be a part of his story. You see the difference? You see, a lot of people come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm writing this story and I want you to be a little part in it. Or even a big part in it. That's, that's not the way we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus saying this, God, you have always been writing a story and I want to be in on the middle of the story so I submit my life to your story. Listen to this. God is still writing the story and he wants you to find your place in it. And the way you do that is very simple. You start by choosing to trust and follow Jesus Christ. You make a decision. You call upon the name of the Lord. You understand that you are a sinner. And unless you trust Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, you will die and spend eternity separated from God in hell. And you believe that Jesus is the only one that has life. And you give your life to Jesus. You make a decision. You say, Lord, I'm asking right now for you to save me. I'm trusting in your death. And then after doing that, listen to this. You find a church. It doesn't have to be this one. There's some really good churches in this area. But you must find a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, mission-accomplishing church. You know why? Because God has only left one thing here until Jesus returns, and that's a church. And God does not intend to accomplish his plans without the church. So an isolated believer outside of the life of the church misses out on what God is doing. Because God is taking your gifts, frankly not that great, on their own. He's taking your little bit of money, not that much on its own. He's taking your little bit of talent, not that great by itself. And he's sticking it in a church. 
which a bunch of other people who together make up the body of Christ and accomplish the mission of God until he gets back. When you make Jesus your Lord and the church your priority, you become a supporting actor in the story that God is writing. This is why the church is not some peripheral, secondary thing that gets a little bit of leftover time and money and energy. The church is central to your life. Because it is through the church that God is doing his work and writing his story. And the only thing that I long for, for every one of you this morning, and I beg you to trust and follow Jesus Christ, commit yourself to a local body of believers, and get right in the middle of what God is doing. What an unbelievable thought. That God wants to make you a part of the plan and the story that he is writing. And you will find your greatest life and greatest joy and greatest significance when it's his story that you're part of. May it be so for all of us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.